You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Hello everyone and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you're having a wonderful week and you are ready to laugh because uh, today we are talking about Airplane on the Pod with uh, the wonderful comedian Riley Silverman. Um, So... Airplane is obviously a quintessential uh, American comedy. Oh, can you hear the airplane actually in the background? That is is definitely making noise. That's what happens when you live near the Burbank Airport. Um, anyway, Airplane is a seminal uh, American comedy. It's on every clip show. Even if you haven't seen it, you could probably quote it. Um, and uh, and it and it gave way to a certain type of subgenre of comedy. This. It didn't invent, obviously, the spoof or the parody film. Um, In this conversation, we're going to be talking about, you know, the Mel Brooks of it all. Um, But it did... It did do something with the parody where it directly, um, you know, scene for scene, almost line for line, as Riley explains, it did take content and repurpose it in a way uh, to to make fun of it, I suppose. And um, and that's something that's a little different than maybe some of our favorite Mel Brooks movies, et cetera, et cetera. So Riley and I are going to talk about that. And we're just going to have a bigger conversation about comedy in general. Um, um, I I really love working with Riley towards the end of this episode. You know, you'll hear um, a quick plug, but I'll mention it now for um, Joseph Scrimshaw's Obsessed podcast. That's where I first got to know Riley. We do one based around a new Star Wars release every year. So we've done one for Force Awakens. We've done one for Last Jedi. We've done one for... Um, uh, solo and uh, Rogue One. So there's lots and lots of content featuring myself and Riley talking about movies if you enjoy this episode. Um, Riley, in addition to being a, a predominant voice in the geek culture space and uh, somebody I've known and light and enjoyed their company for a long time, Riley is a writer. She's a comedian, um, and she has recently written on a limited podcast series for Sci-Fi Wire called "Forgotten Women of Genre" that highlights the real-life women whose contributions to the history of science fiction and fantasy often go overlooked. It's super, super cool. It's a really awesome thing that Sci-Fi is doing all month long. Um, you should definitely check it out. If you don't follow them on social media, I've been really enjoying um, their their posts on the subject. And in addition to uh, Forgotten Women of Genre, Riley is a writer and a comedian. Uh, she's been featured on Nerdist and uh, the Portland Queer Comedy Festival and uh, and others. So I'm super excited that Riley picked this movie because it, it not only gives an insight into her as a comedian, but it also, um, you know, it, it, it's great to talk comedy with people who are doing comedy and so many different kinds of comedy all the time. So this was a real treat for me. Um, so here we are, Riley Silverman and I talking about Airplane. 
all, all the movies on the list, I feel like, especially on the comedy list, mm-hmm. it's such a, um, it's just such a, like an interesting thing to, to evaluate. Like there's so many things to consider when yeah. you're looking at the comedy list. Um, and, uh, and this is a movie where it's like, yeah, it's so it's so iconic. It's informed so much that's come after. Yes, um, that it's like it feels like you you have to talk about it. But then of course you have other movies like we were just saying with with something like Nine to Five, let's say where where it holds certain different places in your heart. Yes. you know. Um, well, okay, so Riley, let's talk. Let's start with um, the first. I I know it's such like a basic like softball question but I I especially when it's a movie like Airplane that definitely informs one's sensibilities yeah uh, I like to start with like when the first time you saw it was well we talked about it off mic a little bit about how like you said when you watched it for this it was the first time you'd ever seen it from start to finish yes and I feel like I have a very similar memory to it myself of being a kid and it would be like on HBO and so I would never see it from beginning to end it was just this movie I would turn on and I think it wasn't a movie that I maybe immediately knew was supposed to be a comedy because mm. it looks so much like one of those 70s hard-boiled disaster films that like my brother would be watching it and I thought it was just some boring movie and then I would like wait 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 and then you catch it and you're like this is so funny and and it was one of those things where just then it became like so much fun to watch and and so many of the jokes of that age probably went over my head but we would just laugh anyway yeah there there are some movies that are parody movies that when you when I was little and I'd catch them on TV I wouldn't know which one I was watching like you or sometimes it would take you a second to, to yeah. catch up um, and you know I think um, the other parody like the other very well known parody films are are obviously Mel Brooks you mm-hmm. know does parrot does parody so well um, and. And, uh, but the Zuckers are like they this they're no slouches either. Sure. Um, yeah, they believe like they're all they, like they do such hard like this one especially. I before coming in here, I, I went and watched Zero Hour, the movie that they basically they bought Zero Hour and re- this is essentially is a remake of Zero Hour. Oh, that's and interesting. They actually like then their lawyers had told them like you don't need to buy it like you are parodying it so it's covered under satire laws. But just to be safe, they they bought like the rights to the script. It was like a 1954 movie or 57, and they bought it for like twenty five hundred dollars. And they like re- so the movie is like one of the things that's interesting about this one is that they they bought it and. Dialogue wise, it's almost a, a line for line remake, and then they just add jokes in, which I think is different than what Mel Brooks does. Like, Mel totally. Brooks does something like he does, like, these more first of all, he, he makes everything way more Jewish than it was originally, <laughs> yes. and he makes more of these, like, broad genre movies, which mm-hmm. is this is too, but this one very much had a plot, like, it very much has a disaster movie, like, it has a legit plot. Like that's like the this, the plot of Zero Hour is the exact same plot as this movie, where it's Ted Stryker is a is a burned out war pilot who who ends up being on a flight where everyone gets sick and he has to fly the plane and land it, and the guy in the control tower is the guy that he flew with in the war. It's all exactly wow. the same, and it's, it's, it's so the amount of work they did of like taking that exact script and then just going through it with a fine tooth comb trying to find every joke they could squeeze out of it was just amazing. Yeah, it reminds me of the story. Um, originally Team America World Police they Trey and Matt wanted to just remake Pearl Harbor yeah or remake Armageddon but with puppets yeah. like marionettes and it's it's kind of funny that they just they like started with the idea of just word for word scene for scene except doing it with puppets which yeah. makes me laugh um 
but uh, but you know, it's what's interesting about this movie too is that I feel like it works without having the basis of you know the 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 disaster movie sure. that it's referencing. Yeah. Um, and I guess I wonder if it's because too it it's like it um because it sticks so closely to that original script, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, it does work as a movie kind of on its own without the parody. Yeah. I don't think most people know that it's a parody of another movie. Right. I, th- I think most people think it's a direct parody of the airport movies, right. which it does draw a lot of like the visuals of it come from, but yeah, the actual, and I think that's what it says. Like, like it's amazing how, cause the movie, if you watch the zero hour, like it's very fifties, like the airplanes, everyone's wearing a suit and tie. The yeah. airplane has like curtains over the windows and they're like those big couch like seats. So they didn't try to like make it look like that movie they they make it look like a movie it's 1980 which is like 70s basically they make it look like a 70s movie so it does look way more like the movies that people think it's parodying than the one that it's actually like remaking well and you said that um so this is i'm curious because to to dive a little bit more into you know when you when you were young and you were watching this movie on hbo or were catching it on tv were you was there like a gatekeeper was there somebody with you to sort of like explain or be like oh this is you should watch this because this or or were you just sort of on your own um neither one of those two things like it wasn't a gate it wasn't like someone explaining it to me it was just my older brother who was also laughing at it with me okay so that's what like that was my experience like we didn't neither one of us knew and my parents definitely didn't know things to like reference or point out like we definitely kind of found our own way with it it was just on tv but yeah, and so I, I don't I never realized just how genius this movie was until I got older. Like as a kid, it was just this dumb, funny movie that's on TV. Like I didn't know like if Airplane or Airplane Two was on, I wouldn't even know which was the better movie because I they were just full of jokes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got a lot older and rewatched Airplane Two and like was like, all right, this has some good jokes in it, but it's not the just like structurally genius movie that Airplane was. Yeah, I um I remember I think I might have told this story on the podcast before, but I remember when I was so I I grew up up watching um, my favorite Mel Brooks movie is probably Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. I know that's not the best. I like that one. But I like, know it gets, a, it, gets, it gets made fun of as one of his bad ones, but I think it's great. I actually think it's great too. And I think it's really funny. And I think, you know, Carrie Elwes is so charming yeah. and just like Errol Flynn incarnate, obviously, but he's so funny too. So that said, a um, couple years ago, this was before like Netflix instant this was, or this was not, sorry, I should back up. This was before Amazon Prime. So you couldn't just be like, I want a movie tomorrow. Click and yeah, it yeah. would just show up, right? You you know. So I wanted to watch Men in Tights. It wasn't available to stream. So I uh I bought it because I, I was like, okay, I need to have this. So it's they're mailing me my DVD. <laughs> All right. But in the meantime, Prince of Thieves is available to stream. Yeah. And I had never seen it. Oh wow. And so having Robin Hood Men in Tights, like burned into my brain. I I could quote it for you. I could draw you like <laughs> scenes. Like I know that movie. Watching Prince of Thieves was like, holy shit, they got this movie so good. Yeah. The appreciation I have for like Mel Brooks and for what the t- they did in recreating and parodying, not just like Robin Hood movies in general, but Prince of Thieves specifically. Yeah. That was just like mind blowing to me. He like took Prince of Thieves and remade it comedically, but then like 
took the tone of the Errol Flynn movie. Yes. It was like, what if Prince of Thieves had been an Errol Flynn type Robin Hood movie? Because all the costumes are the old school style. They don't have that like leathery right. look that like the Kevin costume. It's, it's men in tights. It's guys in like in basically leotards running around like like not leotards, but like tunics. Yeah. yeah tunics and green tights. Because there's that great gag of like they just have their handing out the legs pantyhose. Yes. All the guys that are lined up. Yes. That was a movie too for me as a like young closeted trans girl. Like I loved that movie because like I want I always was like, oh, I'll get a Robin Hood costume and that'll give me a chance to dress in what's basically a skirt and tights. Right. Like I remember that was a thing. I remember in my high school at one of the talent shows, a bunch of the boys in my class did the men in tights song. Yes. And I wasn't asked to be part of it. And I was so sad. Oh no. I just wanted to have an excuse to wear tights. <laughs> like it was the dumbest. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You gotta find everybody's gotta find their ways. Like yeah. they're finding their ways to 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 do their thing. I had a similar reaction with Spaceballs. Yeah. Where I saw it having seen Star Wars. Wars. And I saw it with like, oh, this is a Star Wars parody. Mm-hmm. And I liked liked it a lot. And then as I got older and started seeing some more of the movies that were like sci-fi stuff around the time when Mel Brooks was a kid. Yes. And the things that Spaceballs was really drawing from, like Buck Rogers and stuff like that. Like I was like, this is even more genius than I thought. I mean, Spaceballs definitely isn't because Minas Heights and some of his other stuff. But it still was like, oh, once you know what he's drawing from, it's so much more clever. But it works without it. Yes. And I think that's where that era of parodies that we had at like the end of the, like in the t- mid 2000s, the scary movie through like, and then they started being like disaster movie and, and date movie and all those things. I think that's where those went wrong was like, you had to be on the pulse to get the jokes. I was just about to say that. I was just about to bring that up because I will tell you that as a person who, uh, I love Scream, I love Scream too, but I am not a slasher person. Yeah. Um, even like, I know what you did last summer, uh, Urban Legend, like I don't have guilty... I- not even guilty pleasure. There are a lot of people who swear those movies are great, whatever. But I never enjoyed them. Even, even as a horror fan, even as a kid, even though my taste, like teenager, my tastes weren't, you know, as refined or whatever. But that said, um, I, I got, I know the genre inside and out and I never liked the scary movie. Yeah. Cause they weren't really parroting the genre. They were just like, let's take the, premise of Scream and put dick jokes in it. Totally. And that's not how that has to work. Like, yeah. You have to at least have like the cadence of the genre. You have to. And that's what made like in Airplane, what made Leslie Nielsen such a fine for that movie was that he was never a, comed- a comedian. Like yes. he was always just a, a straight acting guy who they wrote funny lines for and told him to act. And I think that's where he actually went wrong later in his career was he started trying to be funny and it re- wasn't as good. Like he's, a, he's so perfect for airplane and police squad and naked gun. But by the time you get to like spy hard and the Mr. Magoo movie, it's like, no, that's not what makes you good. Leslie Nielsen, How, Leslie Nielsen back up. Yeah, yeah. The, the straight face of it. I love, I love about everyone in airplane with the exception. And I wrote it down. Of uh, Steven Sucker, who plays, or Stuker, Stucker, mm-hmm. Stucker? Uh, is who, he the... He plays Johnny. Is he, that's the guy, that's the flamboyant yes, guy. Yes, yes. Which as a kid, I think I like zeroed in on him because like, there's so rare to have like just such a flamboyantly queer-like character yes. or anything. That, like, I like this guy, but yeah, as an adult, I still do love, I, I even in this era of not fat shaming and not, I, the, the gag of, and Leon's getting larger. It's still such a dumb, great joke. But uh. that's the thing. Like I actually, his character stood out to me as, because the jokes are so silly in mm-hmm. this movie, but his character stood out to me in the best way possible because in a movie of everyone playing it straight, yeah. um, he, uh, uh, here is a character who just is like, 
uh, who's like a cartoon, yeah, right. And 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 honestly, also, I thought his delivery was just hilarious. It's like so great. he's really funny. Yeah. I looked him up, and sadly, he passed away um, in the late '80s, early '90s mm-hmm. from AIDS, mm-hmm. which was very sad. Um, because sad. I was like, I want to see who is this? Yeah, he, truly, he was the standout to me. Having, as we said earlier, like having seen this in clip format, but never having like seen it all the way through. And I was like, what is this? This yeah. is great. It's so, and it's so weird because like nobody in the movie reacts to him doing. Anything. Yes, it's yes. never it's never as like oh this is the annoying guy that we can't stand right. and if they had done that it would have ruined it but the way that it's just like it's just it's just happening it's almost like he's not even really there for right. everybody like even Leon doesn't get mad when he shakes his belly he just kind of like looks at him and walks away right it, it's so perfect and the way this movie one thing I was I was struck by this time watching it that I don't know if I ever was before because I always have liked it and I've always just the math of jokes and it is so good yes but what I like in this is the commitment to setting up a joke and like doing it like in stages like when you first start in the cockpit and you're just meeting all the pilots and they make a point of being like captain captain was it over and or under captain no captain um, captain under and roger and clarence and Victor. victor and they don't in that first scene, they just make sure to hit everyone's yes. name. So that, and later on in a later scene, they have the that what's your vector, Victor? Uh, we got a clearance, Clarence, Roger, huh? Like it's just it's over under, and it's just it's so perfectly telegraphed because you don't need to then right. you have to go because my name is this. It's just that earlier scene, but they like they clearly punctuate everyone's name yes. in that earlier scene. Is also the dumbest one I think is when. First of all, and there's always elaborate jokes in the setting up, but when the when the captain is on the phone and he's calling the Mayo Clinic and there's the dumb joke of the Mayo behind him, but then like, oh, the ham radio th- is on the, and he's like, okay, ham on five, hold the Mayo. It's like, it's such a, like, they've gone so far just to get this stupid joke out and it's perfect. Well, it is the idea that, you know, like, look, with comedy specifically, you know, especially when it's quote fingers dumb comedy, yeah. how smart this actually is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think the thing that, that to me resonates with with this brand of comedy. When it's done well, you really can't like underestimate how much, as you say, the math of the jokes. Like yeah. it's it's um there's it's so meticulous that it it's really impressive. Yeah. Like I don't think there is a much better joke in the history of film comedies than Ted Stryker's drinking problem. I think uh-huh. that is one of those jokes that I remember from being a kid. And it just I even when I'm like not it's just I just always think of it as one of the funniest things that's ever because as a kid when you didn't quite understand what having a drinking problem meant. Right. But when you say I have a drinking problem and it was just the way and the the movie handles it so well because it just that's when I developed my drinking problem and you see him hit his head and then it, it knows to wait just long enough till you've forgotten the joke and then he'll do it again at a, in a moment. And it's so, it's so perfect. Cause like it, it doesn't do it when you see the cup and you're waiting for it to happen. You, you forget it's happening. Like, like when he's flying the plane, he just does it again. It's just, it's, <laughs> And it just gets funnier every time it happens. So earlier you were saying that Airplane is a movie that really influenced your own personal brand of comedy. Yeah. So as a comedian, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, like yeah. what, and what was the sort of evolution of that? Meaning like if Airplane um, had a huge influence, what were the next steps of that brand of comedy? I think it was then getting into shows like The Simpsons mm. and also like, at the same era of my life as Airplane, watching the Muppets. 
Like, I, I think that my favorite kind of comedy is really smart, stupid comedy. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing that I liked about, like, Steve Martin's stand-up. Yes. And movies like The Jerk, which I also almost I picked for this list. The Jerk. And no one's picked that one. Yeah, I can't believe I was, it. I almost did. But this, I, I, when I was down with my airplane and The Jerk, I just, like... I, I, as much as I, I probably could talk about Steve Martin for a very long time, but I just, Airplane just is so, just joke for joke for joke, so great that I went with it. But yeah, I think that there's that element of, like, even in The Jerk, like, that same thing, the elaborate telegraph joke of, like, the whole, when he's doing the whole, like, all I need is this, this paddle game and this chair. This. And, then, and then there's yeah. that great, there's that dumb gag at the end of, like, I need my dog. And the dog growls, well, I don't need my dog. Like, it's <laughs> so dumb, but it's so great. And The Simpsons, too. Like, my, my favorite episode of The Simpsons is the monorail episode. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's one of those ones where they just, it's Conan O'Brien wrote it, and it's just the amount of jokes squeezed into one half hour of show. And it like, there's one that's just like the scientist that, that Marge went and found Like they, they have this scene where like that we were late and they, they like reanimated his head to have a different hairstyle. And he goes, we're late. I shouldn't have stopped for that haircut. It's like, why would he have stopped for a haircut? There's no, it's just the dumbest joke. And I love it so much. That's, that's so funny. I, um, well, I, on the comedy topic, like I want to, I want to sort of bring up the thing we've we've touched on like Mel Brooks a little bit, sure. Um, but you know, so I saw this great Twitter thread, and I wish I could remember the woman who who um, who tweeted it out, but it was about it was circulating in the last couple of weeks, and it was about how people she she was saying stop saying that blazing saddles could never be made today it could and and she she sort of went through the the evolution of like the fact you know blazing saddles was a time and place and you have to take away about context and yeah. now it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't work because or it wouldn't work as a fresh piece because it's not fresh anymore and yeah it was that like, part of it's true yeah. yeah so anyway um I, I wanted to talk about that, and I wanted to talk about like airplane. Could you know? Yeah. Could airplane get made today? Well, the thing about Blazing Saddles that people don't seem to remember too is that Blazing Saddles he did have to fight tooth and nail to make Blazing Saddles. There right. were a lot of compromises he had to make to make that movie. He had to fight to get that farting bean eating scene in there, but also like Richard Pryor was not allowed to be in the movie. Like they right. wrote the movie together right. and they yes. had to replace him. Like that's the kind of thing. Like he was too controversial of a right. casting, and they had to. Con- so like when people act like oh comedy is so compromised nowadays, the movie they go to as an example of of great comedy it's not compromised is very compromised, and it worked fine right but yeah i don't think i don't think you could make airplane today but not because i mean there's a couple of jokes in it now like in this that like you definitely couldn't get through now like the whole uh the i speak jot which is so funny but yes you could not do it it's but it's it's a great joke for 1980 it'd be a terrible joke in 2009 2019 or 10 years ago too also then yeah (laughs) i don't i don't think i i think that's what is so tragic about that era of bad mid-2000 spoof movies is that i think that it really kind of gave us an era where not like no one's gonna touch that as a thing to do right now mm-hmm. like no one's gonna think it's a because it definitely like went from making a good amount of money or being making enough for how cheap they were to none just like no one's touching it now and it's just like so burned out as a genre and i think that like there is definitely room for it nowadays mm-hmm. but the problem i think too is that movies that are being made now are so much more high budget mm. movies that have tropes I think it will be hard to make a movie like Airplane effectively now because what makes Airplane so great is that it looks just like all the disaster movies of the 80s, of the right. 90s, I'm sorry, the 70s when it was being made. Right. Like it looks like the airport movies. But how do you make 
a parody movie of the Avengers and have it look anywhere near as good as the Avengers. That's a great point. That's I was also thinking too about the context of so there's a scene in um you know obviously the movie opens with the Jaws gag. Yeah. Um and then there's a scene specifically that was the Saturday night yeah. fever sequence, right? I forgot it was in that movie because I'm so used to being like, oh it's one you don't need to know the references. It's all it's all just jokes. But there are references to other movies in there. Yeah. And and you know that was something that I think is very of the time meaning at the time you could have one movie that would take over the world Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like one movie that literally everyone had seen and so this was a point of reference that you know a majority of audiences would uh would get but now we have so much content Mm -hmm. we have so many movies so many tv shows so many digital things that you there isn't just one thing that takes over the world like and i like your point about the avengers because i suppose you know we could do like a there could be a parody superhero movie, but you're right. Like it just doesn't quite work if you don't have the means to do a big superhero. Yeah. And I think that any studio putting that much money into it would be so scared of it that they would note it to the point that it wouldn't be good anymore. Yeah. Which, um, was kind of like, you know, I, I don't want to get too off topic, but like I saw Captain Marvel this past weekend Uh and I really liked it, but I definitely thought it was like a B level Marvel MCU movie. And it very much felt like when you look at the credits, it had five different writers. Yeah feels like it has five different writers and yeah. I think that would be the problem with a with a movie trying to parody like if they're putting if they're gonna put like a hundred million dollars into this comedy and also they first of all that would be a big risk and they wouldn't do it or if they did they would yeah they would try to make it too broad and too general but also I think that like we haven't had a great success rate on expensive over-the-top like studio comedies in a right. long time and I think that there might be like a reason for that I think that maybe it's too I don't know but um, I think that I, well, I think that reason is that people are so scared that they try to make it so broad yeah. that it doesn't doesn't land, doesn't connect at some point. Yeah, I think that I would argue that South Park is still doing stuff like that semi well. Yeah. Um, but that's not the same. That's animation. Yeah, you and, can do a lot with animation. Yes, and yeah. also you can do a lot in twenty two minutes. You know, you can you can make your point, make sure that your joke isn't stale. You know, because that, that's the other thing. Like, I wonder if you have a feature length Avengers parody like. Like, you know, can you really sustain it? Yeah, I don't know if you could. And I think what you would have to do is something along, like, the part of the problem, too, is, like, you don't have, you don't have generic superhero movie scripts like you do with what Airplane did with Zero Hour. Sure. Like, you don't, there's not, like, oh, here's this random superhero movie that not a lot of people saw that also works really well. Like, most superhero movies started at a very specific point in time. Right. And, and like, there was a, there was very few when you had, like, Superman, the Batman era, and then you get into, like, the like the kind of Silver Age or whatever, Golden Age of modern superhero movies. Like, there's no movies that, like, no one saw and no one really remembers that you could just take and people wouldn't go, wait, so this is just the script from Daredevil, but you had a joke? to it like that right. wouldn't work and it's interesting too because like I don't know if um, I for my for our listeners if you're if you don't have the DC Universe app um, or uh, app shame on me they always get on to us for not <laughs> calling it an app it is a platform uh, but if you don't have the platform you know Doom Patrol for instance is is Excellent, but I bring it up because Doom Patrol is like real superhero. You know, it's based on the Grant Morrison run of Doom Patrol, yeah. but it's parodying 
what we know of the superhero boom, essentially. So it's yeah. like Excuse now me. what we have is real superheroes who are parodying and real DC Comics properties parody, yeah. parodying the mainstream DC Comics properties. Well, I was getting ready to say, because you mentioned animation, I was going to say, well, I guess that's kind of what Teen Titans go to the movies was. Yes. Like, let's do a silly superhero movie with superheroes that we know and recognize. And that would be the way to maybe do something along those lines. And I think that, yeah, I was thinking, like, I think the more broad parody movies are cartoons nowadays. Right. Like, I'm trying to think of a great example of one. Like, that's kind of what Wreck-It Ralph, like, has always references to video games that are happening within it. And it's basically saying, like, what is a video game story, but with the com- comedic element to it. And that's, that may be, like, I'm trying to think of the, I think the one issue with making a parody like Airplane nowadays is the whole element of, like what they're calling like the the disappearing middle class of Hollywood, mm, which is mm-hmm. that you either have these ultra low budget indie films or you have these high budget, huge, like high concept films. And there's almost nothing in between them anymore. You don't see a whole lot of like 10 to 15 to 20 million dollar right, films anymore. Right. And so you don't have a lot of genres that are ripe for picking. I, I think what you could do, the only genre that I think you probably could do an airplane style parody of today are all these like missing women books, like all these books that are based on like a best selling thriller novel. Yeah. Like you'd have to have like a girl dragon tattoo or gone girl or what was the one that girl on the train, uh-huh. like those kind of de- detective movies like those you probably could do a pretty funny parody. Oh, of. That's a great idea. And I bet you there is some movie that came out in like the mid nineties or early two thousands that no one remembers that you probably could buy the script for it and just put a bunch of jokes sure. into it. But sure. then again, you're, then you're, then you're running the risk of like, how funny is this movie about a woman who's getting like kidnapped and, and, right. and assaulted? Like that's where you run it. Like there was that, uh, Angie Tribeca TV show, which uh-huh. is like a cop show, but I don't know how dark their, uh, like their storylines got. Sure. But that would be the only thing I think of you could do. I'm trying to think of what else. Because, like, cop movies, I think, have been so parody that there's not really enough to do with them anymore. Yeah, like, I will say that um, last summer when Happy Time Murders came out, I saw that, uh, you know, with the with the puppets or it was yeah. basically Brian Henson's R-rated Muppet movie. Yeah, and I, I didn't even see it. And it's weird because I grew up loving the Muppets and I'm really into Muppet stuff, but... Everything about it just made me think it wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. Yeah, and you know, like, uh, there there were some valid criticisms of the movie, meaning like, you know, wow, they went a long way to just have this silly string gag again, you know, and, <laughs> and how many times do we, like, how many cutaways of puppets fucking do we need to have, you yeah. know? But that said, um, I had read such bad reviews of the movie and went and saw it and actually quite enjoyed it. I really? mean, I didn't love it. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a good movie, but I thought it was kind of funny. And uh, the audience I saw it with, was, which was just a regular audience, AMC Burbank, was cracking up. And that probably really helps too. Going, seeing a movie at a comedy in a crowded theater is the best move. The crowd theater's into it because it will make you think a movie is genius, even if it's only mediocre. Well, and it's interesting too because I wonder about the. Um, you know, I should have looked this up. Do you happen to know off the top of your head what the reviews for Airplane was like? Were like? I don't. I should look that up for this. I looked it up on I. Okay, so it is ringing a bell actually because I put in I put it into IMDb just kind of looking at like the the credits and things like that. And I definitely remember Airplane 2 has like a, you know, the star rating out of 10. I think Airplane 2 is like a 7.2 or 6.8 or something. But Airplane, Airplane, the original was in the eights, like the high, you know, 8.5 or higher kind of thing. So I think that. You know, and of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Now it's considered a huge classic, um, and it had to be successful enough to get a sequel. Yeah, and also it basically gave ZAZ like a whole right. era. Like they they had 
Police Squad as a TV show. They then would make a gun as a movie. They were also do Top Secret. So like they definitely had like a lot of coattails to write. And also it made Leslie Nielsen go from being a serious actor to being a comedian. Right. So that's how big it was at so one point. So it's interesting though because it's like, you know, I I wonder I should have I should have looked up the, like Rotten Tomatoes specific because that's a that's a, a you know a average of critical reviews because sometimes when it comes to comedy especially like lowbrow comedy using quote fingers whether it's Happy Time Murders or whether it's something else you know a lot the the uh, what the audience responds to and what an audience is willing to say this is hilarious and we love this versus like what critics like and what critics think are is valuable is is usually you know there's there's some sort of difference yeah. Yeah, I'm looking to see because let's like, see the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes say 97%, but how many of that is people nowadays writing reviews sure, that have been posted sure. on it since then? It's so, so I guess hard it to was a, I guess it just was a movie. It sounds like a movie though, because I I was looking some stuff up recently um, uh, that was an older film, and and the averages you know was sort of everything, but it looks like a lot of the top critics gave it. Gave it fresh, gave it good reviews. Yeah, All, a lot of these reviews are from like 2008, so there's it must be like people writing modern reviews of them, sure. which is a bummer. I'd like to see what people thought about it back then. Yeah, it feels like it was the exact right move, at the exact right time. Sure, like it's exactly it's it's like the division in between the very serious 70s style filmmaking and the really big influx of comedies that we got in the very early 80s that just kind of like defined an era of comedy. Yeah, the casting on this movie is interesting too because I knew that like Leslie Nielsen. Um, uh, was a like a, a serious actor. I knew that Robert Stack was a serious actor. Yeah. Um. And and then sort of had careers post Airplane. But um. But yeah. The the oh god. And I'm blanking on her name. But the main woman. Elaine. Elaine. Yeah. She um. She is just such a strange uh person to put at the front of a. I just love that she is cast in that yes, role. You know what I mean? Great. It's um sometimes when you look back at these at these comedies and you look you see people who look like real people and you're like oh wow these are this is from another time because now everybody looks like you know you can't make a, a mainstream comedy you can't make a TV show that you know anywhere where like the teenagers actually look like teenagers right. and like the people actually look like real people as opposed to like movie stars yeah. Or- I miss this kind of era, like the, this is what people look like in these movies, and they just look like people, and they're just like these kind of like schlubby actors that are just like punching a clock and going into act and film, and that's like what they're doing. It's great. Yeah, we talked about it a little with Jaws, I think, on a, on a previous episode, like the cast of the casting in Jaws. Everybody looks like a real person. Yeah, one thing about this movie too that I was interested in when I was watching it, I was I think maybe because it was taking so many lines from another movie, mm-hmm. but I was struck by how many women have speaking parts mm-hmm. in this broad comedy yeah. because. I recently had to rewatch Splash for the 35th anniversary of it. And I think I counted four women in the entire movie with speaking parts, including Daryl Hannah. Wow. And it's a, it's it maybe five possibly like their mom and like Tom Hanks, secretary and maybe like one woman with a gag at one point. And like, there's maybe, maybe like a couple one liners, but there's less than 10 total in the whole movie for sure. And this one really has a lot of like women doing funny lines. Yes. Like it has the, the captain's wife who's in bed with the horse, which is such a weird joke. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's meant to be a Godfather parody. It has to be. And then we have the, the, like the woman, 
on the plane who's like, he never has a second cup of coffee at home. Like there's that, there's the, there's the stewardess who plays the guitar. There's Elaine. Yeah. There's the nun. There's the woman freaking out at the, the slap. There's just, and there's like, there's so many people in this movie and that woman freaking out and the, the stewardess like slapping her and then the guy pulling her away and then slapping her himself. That's directly from the movie that they're, and then they just added the gag of more people being lined up behind him to hit, hit her too. That's like so it, it, when I watched that thing, I was like, this is exactly from that movie. It's so weird. Do you think that they watched that film and were just like laughing their asses off because they felt like it was unintentionally funny? I or think so, probably. That's so, it, that's, that's, we, I just, um, as we're recording this, my episode on Mommy Dearest just came out uh, for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, we, you know, Holly Payne, who is my guest, and I talked a lot about camp and talked about like, can things be intentionally campy or are they, in order to do camp the right way, is it, does it have to be accidental? Huh. I, that's actually an interesting commentary I've heard recently because I I saw the movie. Have you seen Greta? So no, but I I have I've read some yeah. uh, reactions that are sort of getting into that. I've heard some people try to make this case that it's camp and it knows it's camp, and I don't think it does, and I don't think it's as good. I mean, I I did not. I I mean, I I thought I was gonna get kicked out of the theater because I was laughing so hard at it. Like I haven't laughed that hard at a non intentionally funny movie in a long time. Yeah. And then some people were trying to say like, no, it's camp and knows what it's doing. And I'm like, I think you're giving too much credit to the filmmakers. I think it's a movie that got released in February for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that Isabella Huppert like does her best with it. And I think that's what makes it so good is she does not it's like she's not underacting for yeah. what's, what the movie is. But it was weird. It's weird to hear people when I watch this movie, I'm like, I can't fathom that this is intentional. I, I don't think it is. And nothing of like Neil Jordan's work prior to this makes me think that like he knows how to make this movie be what it is. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I guess he made Pris- didn't he make Priscilla maybe but so maybe he might have been to this camp but I don't know it did not feel intentionally camp to me it felt like I can't believe this is a real movie there's a there's a the boy next the movie the boy next door starring Jennifer Lopez mm-hmm. um I've never seen but I I have heard many a tale about this movie but one thing that I have always heard is that the director specifically wanted to make a darkly funny movie and the rest of the cast was not informed of this. Okay, that's actually and, interesting. And so I kind of like, I kind of love that stuff because I, I like the, you know, because you can go into um, uh, fix-it mode or like, you know, like, oh, uh, everybody's laughing at this thing. We got to say, yeah, it was supposed to be that way, which is sort of how Paramount did with Mommy Dearest. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but with Boy Next Door, like, the director was doing it with a wink, even if his cast didn't necessarily know that. Which might actually be the way you have to do that these days. Because, like, going back to Leslie Nielsen, like, I think having him play this character yes. the way he p- would play any other character, and just giving him lines that are funny, like the like the great running gag of like, what is it? It's a big building of patience. That's not important right now. Like, yes. that is such yes. a good like. You know, I know the "Don't Call Me Sherry" line is the one everyone quotes from this movie, but I think the thing of like what is it explaining what else he said and then that's not that's not important right now is such a better joke i agree but i think that like yeah you have to there's an apocryphal story about batman 66 the the tv series that says that the writers were writing a comedy but nobody told adam west and i don't think that's true i think adam west also knew it was a comedy yeah but i love the idea that that like like adam west has just just showed up for multiple years to make this show always thought he was making a straight just hard hardcore superhero show and then like a hero show and only later on found out that the whole time they were writing a comedy it was meant to be ridiculous yeah there's a um i wrote down also i've mentioned this on the podcast and i'm sorry to get repetitive but uh I, I listened to the WTF episode with Barry Sonnenfeld 
Wild, and he talked about directing Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black mm -hmm. and how Tommy Lee Jones wanted to play the comedy. Yeah. And he said, no, 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 no. You doing this with a straight face is going to be so funny. Yes. And Tommy Lee Jones kind of resented him for it while they were making the movie, but then once he saw it and saw the audience reaction to it, he apparently went up to Sonnenfeld and thanked him. But that is what it reminded me of. Airplane was, was like, you have a Tommy Lee Jones caliber, straight face, mm -hmm. serious gravitas actor delivering the most silly lines yes. in the most ridiculous situations, and that's what makes it work. It heightens everything around him when it happens, too, and that's what's so great about and That's what's so great about Andre Brower on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh -huh. And I remember even hearing, I think it might have been in the interview, Ray Romano was talking about having Andre Brower on the set of Men of a Certain Age mm. on TNT, which yes. was a show that I loved. Yeah, that and they was were a good show. It was so good, and they were talking about how they cast him and the part he was playing was written for the actor who played Bumpy on The Wire. Oh, okay. Who would have played it more broad and kind of goofy and uh -huh. silly. And when they got Andre Brower to do it, they were like, weren't sure how funny he would be. And there was even points like when they were filming it, they thought he was being too dry and like too serious. And then they would watch the clips back and they would go like, it was like the hardest not to laugh at because like while they were filming it, because he would just pause for, so it was the reverse of that where the actor knew the decision was to play it as dry as possible. And even the people making the show who were comedians were like, I, should we be doing this? And he's like, no, trust me. It's great. I, um, so the first time I ever saw Christopher Maloney was in wet hot American summer. Oh, yeah. uh, and that was like when Wet Hot kind of first came out. I caught it on that like, you know, first run of DVD. And uh, and and I knew Christopher Maloney as Gene mm -hmm. from Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. And then I found out that he was a serious actor. Yeah. And at first I was like, wait a second. That's Gene. Like, you would expect me not to. And then I was like, oh my God, he's like Law and Order or whatever it is, whatever it was, or cop procedural guy, yeah. or he's like serious that's actor guy. Yeah. yeah. And I just, it like blew my mind. But that's what it, I think that that's when you're talking about like comedy director geniuses when they know, like, they know something that the audience doesn't. And it's almost like this big present to be able to just give it to everyone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that I had the exact opposite experience with him where the first time I saw him was on HBO's Oz, which was like yeah, the darker exa side of the exactly, spectrum. Exactly, yes. And then when I saw Wet Hot, I was like, that's the guy from Oz, but he was so funny. Yes. And then I also he would pop up in Conan sketches all the time. <laughs> they did this sketch on Conan where they had like the Law & Order SVU awards and he was the only actor who showed up and that was and he wasn't winning any of the awards. He like They had him sitting there being gracious when he kept being nominated and not winning. It was very like a very Susan Lucci kind of thing and it was so funny. We can't, the um, I I love the um, the Crip Brian Cranston of it all too. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, Brian Cranston was the dad and Malcolm in the Middle. Like, he's great. Yes, he's um, so funny. But then you know, sort of had this renaissance for being reintroduced as as Walter White, and uh, and there's some very you know Vince Gilligan is a funny guy, and there yeah. are some very darkly funny things in Breaking Bad throughout the whole series. But um, you know, Cranston has talked a lot about how he it, it was a fight and a struggle to get him that role because uh, he was the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. And like, dad's mm -hmm. from, you know, the funny guy can't be the serious guy and the serious guy can't be the funny guy. I would love to see Vince Gilligan and Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul take, like, a two-parter episode of, of Breaking Bad, shoot it, but just stuck, stick in a bunch of Zucker, Abraham, Zucker jokes type thing and just see how that would play. I think it would be hilarious. That's actually, that's actually a really interesting question is kind of like, 
uh, we talked a little bit about what genre we would like to, or what type of film we would like to see sort of airplaneized. But yeah, what type of actors? And you know, I guess to be fair, um, David Wayne did it with They Came Together. Yeah. Uh, which was which was fun. Yeah, um, it's you know, it's, yeah, it's exactly what it is. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly need what it needs to be. Um, but I guess to me, like, do, would you say that the the Zuckers would you say there is an equivalent? Like for me, the the state guys and the the um David Wayne crew are kind of the closest thing I could think of to to this like yeah. absurd. Uh, gags with a straight face. Like, if you think about the reason What Hot American Summer is so funny, you know, it's, of course, the actors that are funny, but it's also the the recurring gags of, like, the the sound effect going on, you know, the, yeah. the crashing sound effect off screen for no reason over and over and over again. Yeah, I think or, you're right. like, the Easter eggs, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think you're probably right about that, like, uh, like in Role Models, yes. where there's that gag of... Uh, he's singing that "Love Take Me Down the Streets," which isn't a real song, but then like it's a but it's a Paul McCartney song, and that becomes a running gag yes. over the course of the movie where it keeps getting played. It's not a real song. That's I. But then again, even those are like mid two thousands. Like they're I mean they're make, they're still making movies, but they're not like what's the current era of sure. that kind of stuff. But I also think it's because I think that we are right on the other side of an era of comedy where the big comedies we were seeing were these. Uh, these, I don't think you know his name, uh, the guy, Judd oh, Apatow yeah. era, where a lot of the comedies were highly improvised mm-hmm. and kind of goofing around and not super tightly written. And only in the last like year or so are we starting to see more tightly written scripted comedies mm-hmm. again that are big, like Blockers or Date mm-hmm. Night, or not, not Date Night, Game Night. Yep. And and even like that movie Tag was like mm-hmm. that. Like, And it's like, were there more like hearts, occasional heartstrings, but like there's just like, Blockers is a movie that I wish had done better than it. I mean, it did okay, but... That was a movie that I think got unfairly uh, like protested against because the people who were mad at it didn't know that it was actually making the exact points they wanted to be making. Yeah, and it's I saw that movie three times in the oh, theater. Wow. It was so funny because I was at also the movie pass let you go multiple times sure. to be fair. But yeah, it was I saw it on my own and I liked it so much that any friends who wanted to go see it, I would go see it with them again. I watched it on an airplane. That movie and it's it's so perfectly written, and I think that that like. Now that we're back on this kind of new comedy era, again, I'm wondering if we'll start seeing more movies like that that mm-hmm. like can do that. And if we do that, then will people start with like tightly written comedies, start wanting to try spoofs again and parodies again? Yeah. But I was just thinking while we were talking about, I made that Breaking Bad thing. I think part of the thing is that what used to be that middle class of movies is now turning into serialized television. It is, yes. And you couldn't sustain a parody for like a 10 episode series unless it was a sitcom, like a half hour. Right. So I'm wondering if there's a way to take the kinds of stories that people recognize from serialized television and parody that. But those audiences aren't very big either. Is that the documentary now? Is that sort of the premise of documentary now? I think it is. Is like they take a thing or a genre and then they make a version of it uh, in like a 44-minute episode or something? I think it is what that is. Like they go, this is the type of documentary people are doing. Let's make a thing out of it. Right, right. Yeah, but you're right. Like that's on IFC and that is not a big budget show. And how many people actually watch it? Yeah, it's tricky. I hadn't even seen it, and I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't get IFC, so yeah, and that well, and that's a whole other can of worms in terms of like who has access to what content because of reasons. Uh, yeah, there and there's so much content, but and it's interesting that we're actually almost getting the exact opposite thing happening now, which is we have a with with Jordan Peele, we have a very talented comedic 
filmmaker who is making a serious set of movies that are like like it's it's still ridiculous this day that Get Out was listed as a comedy because oh. it's not. And it's it's funny to see this guy who's uh, it's he's going the exact opposite route, taking his comedic talents and making them and using them to still tell what is essentially a satire, but without the comedy of it. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I think. Well, and I've always made the com- uh, the the um, the point in the comment, and you know, I'm sure we've been on podcasts together where I've said this, where like horror and comedy are really two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I mean, they both rely on the element of surprise. They both rely, they both rely on a, um, like the audience member, you know, exerting something, whether it's a laugh or a scream, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, tension and build and all the things like that's that there, there really are, you know, brother and sister. And that's why Jaws is so effective because Jaws is both. Jaws works f- as a comedy and it works as a horror movie and neither one is like threatening the other one. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, it's funny you say that because like there was a, have you ever seen, um, Piranha, Piranha 3D? I haven't. The I've, heard it's, I've heard it's really good. That's a, that's an example of a movie that like absolutely knew what kind of movie it was making and did it with a wink to the audience, but also didn't pull back on the violence and the gore and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, which makes it more tolerable too, because it is a, and also talk about the right way to remake something, you know, Piranha being made sort of with a straight face and then meaning the original and then coming back and being like, it's piranhas. Yeah. Terror. Like we, you, we have to make this funny. Yeah. Um, but still have it be that R-rated, pushing the boundaries, like, you know, uh, a horror movie, essentially. I was just thinking about, I wonder what effect things like Asylum movies have had on making great, spoofs. Great point. Great because, point. Yeah. Like, you, in the in the 70s, you didn't have, like, you had people who would watch bad B-movies, but those movies were all made sincerely. Those yes. Movies were, or at least they were made by, like, just someone trying to make a quick buck and didn't care about the quality. But... Asylum, like with Sharknado, I never got the cultural love of Sharknado because to me it felt like, yeah, but they're in, a, like they're they're not, like you're not making fun of how bad it is. Like they're making fun of you for watching it. Yes. Like I never understood why you would want to do a riff tracks for Sharknado. Yeah, same. I I, wa- I remember when I finally watched the first Sharknado movie and being because I love stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I love I I thought that I was gonna be like oh because you know I love Piranha and I like you know all yeah. this stuff. And then I finally watched it and I was like oh this isn't fun. Yeah, this I is didn't just like, like it. Yeah, this is, and the fact that they made but see this is kind of like the snakes on a plane. Uh, you know, a thing where it's like the 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 best joke is the title. Yeah. You know, and, and we can fill in the blanks about what we think that movie is going to be, but then when you actually watch it and it's not, um, like for instance, another, to, to go back to the Piranha example, the sequel to Piranha was called Three Double D, which is a funny gag because it's a sex horror, you know, boobs, like the yeah. whole deal, but that's the best gag in Piranha Three Double D. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's like, it's it's a tricky, it's a tricky weird thing, but that's, I love that point about like, yeah, the, the Asylum movie movies are kind of they're kind of killing the joke like they're you know and that's what i feel like yeah yeah i feel like they like they're just their their whole movie is isn't this dumb and like i i think that's the difference between that kind of thing and airplane because airplane knows it's dumb but it's doing it in the smartest way exactly yes and that's why i think that it still holds up that's why i think even if you don't know the stuff it's it's parodying that's why i was so amazed today when i watched that zero hour and i was like this is so similar it's it's I was so impressed at this movie that I had never seen before, but like now with watching Airplane, I've seen Airplane 
probably hundreds of times in my life, at least parts of it. And I've seen, and I've, I've quoted it, I've had it in my head, and I've seen scenes of it. And I'd never seen the movie it was originally based off of. And when I watched it and I just saw how much it was similar, I was like, this makes me just love it even more because I never needed that. To, I didn't need that movie to, I didn't know, need to know about it at all to enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing to recapture. Yeah. I think that Robin Hood Men in Tights is my airplane. I, think, I can see that. I think that's it. It's a good one. It's a good one, for me at least. Um, well, before we move on to the part where you get to add a movie, yeah. is there anything else like airplane specific that that you want to bring up or touch on that we haven't already? I think I've hit most of it. Like, okay. I, think, I think the drinking problem is my big thing. You know, it's funny because I remember, speaking of Zucker, Abraham Zucker, I remember when my parents took me to see Naked Gun in the theater and I didn't know it was going to be a comedy. And I remember like, even though I'd seen Airplane, no one told me, it's the guys who made Airplane. You'll love it. It's like Airplane. My mom was like, oh, we're going to this cop movie, Naked Gun. And I didn't want to see it because I thought it was going to be just a, like a boring cop movie mm-hmm. at that age. Like, I, last thing I want to go see is some detective movie. And then it was one of the most fun things I'd had in the theater was watching that movie. And maybe that's why no one told me. But like, it was a thing where I almost got in trouble because I was like trying not to go and complaining about it. And I was like, why didn't you just tell me you'll like it? It's funny. And I would have gone to see it. But yeah. That's funny. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, parents, just tell me. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so let's talk about adding a movie to the list. Yeah. Uh, so everyone gets to add a movie to the list, and I don't know what it is, so tell me, what is it? Mine is one that I actually even double-checked the list earlier to make sure wasn't on it, because I'm kind of surprised it's not. Okay. And that is Coming to America. Yeah, okay. Talk about a movie that informed my sense of humor as a kid. Coming to America, I still think, is one of the funniest movies ever made. Okay. And I think it is just a movie that is consistently, there's just so many good jokes in it there's just so much ridiculousness happening in it and it's one of those ones that are like random jokes from it to this day i never see a chalk outline of a person in a movie or anywhere without going damn shame with what they did to that dog that is that and it's it, it's kind of a dark thing to make fun of sometimes because like sometimes you'll see like a, a police, police outline like on the news like in like a like a crime scene picture and i still have that joke in my head yeah and it is just it is a movie that i'm I, I think it's the funniest thing Eddie Murphy was ever in. Mm. I think that it's the funniest movie that um, uh, Landis. Landis made. Yeah. And I, I think that it's just, and I know people f- will fight me on that because there's, I think everyone's favorite Landis movie is the first one I saw. Sure. And I think a, a lot of people will fight me with uh, with Trading Places over, over Coming to America. But I think Coming to America is just such a funny, funny movie. Yeah, Eddie Murphy is really in in true form in Coming to America. Mm-hmm. I think that, that you know, um, well, first of all, Personally, I don't feel qualified to speak on it because I only saw Coming to America for the first time all the way through. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and it would be on Comedy Central and stuff like that, but that's that's different. I only actually sat down and watched it within the last year or two. Um, I think because there was a pop-up of the restaurant. Yeah, they did. Uh, there was a rest. Well, there was t- a couple of them. There was one, I think, in L.A., and there was one uh, one year for Halloween, the Wiener Circle in Chicago dressed up as McDowell's for Halloween. Got <laughs> like, it. Yeah, but I think L.A. did one. I think someone did one here, too. I think so. And I couldn't make it. And that was like, I think, I think it was, I can't, God, I can't remember who, who, oh, it was Roth Cornett. It was Roth Cornett from, uh, from Screen Junkies, um, talking about how Coming to America is like her favorite movie. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like, really? Um, and, and I had never seen it. And so I didn't get the jokes that were in the whole package about yeah. going to the restaurant. So I watched it. And I mean, there, look, it is 
Eddie Murphy is undeniable. Mm -hmm. And Arsenio Hall, especially at that time, was just like, they were on fire. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. So, I mean, it was perfectly enjoyable, but it also, to me, didn't quite resonate because I think I came to it way too late. And maybe that's why it's not on this list. Like, maybe Maybe. it's one of those movies that, like, if you didn't see it in its time, in its prime, it doesn't hold up the way that it would. Like, for me, I'll never see it... Uh, divorced from the joy that I had it as a child. And there are some movies that even having had that joy as a child, rewatching it later, I'm like, oh, this is not good. But coming to America, I think the jokes are still so strong and still resonate from that point in my life that I can I can still really, really, really get into it. Well, I think that adding Eddie Murphy to this list is, is very valid. Um, and if I had to pick a John Landis movie, I think I'd pick Three Amigos. Yeah, that was one that I, I thought about. That, that's actually, I think... That's the movie that, in my mind, is the first movie I remember seeing. Like, I remember, like, oh, turning on TV and wow. watching. Like, I, had, like, I had the clearest first memory of watching. And I that might be my favorite comedy of all time. Really? Yeah, it's pretty out there. Oh, wow. Yeah, I really, really... I mean, and it's like, I, I think Coming to America is probably... I don't know. I don't know if it's better or not, but I would say like I coming to I mean Three Amigos is one that I just have a very very soft spot in my heart for. Yeah, it is. It is very silly. It is very funny. Uh, but that would be if I had to pick a Landis comedy, that would be mine yeah. for sure. Because I was gonna say I was gonna say um, Defending Your Life, but then I saw they put Lost in America, so I'm like, okay, that's their Albert Brooks movie they're picking. Got it. But got it. Got it. Got it. It is weird how they kind of like, well, this is our one, with the exception of Mel Brooks and maybe a few like Billy Wilder or somebody exactly. like that. They're like, we're gonna do one of you, and that's all you're getting. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I had, when I first started this podcast, I sort of had high hopes that maybe someone at AFI would find it and say, this gal's a spitfire. We should, <laughs> we should embrace her and, and these guests and, and, you know, take a listen because these are people who are, cause you know, I always say about this podcast, like sometimes we, we look at the list and we're like, how the hell did this movie get on the, the did this movie get on the list? Yeah. But then sometimes we we pick a movie and we're like, yeah, this movie absolutely deserves. They, they nailed it. They got it right, you yeah. know. But I do think that in having more eclectic voices just across the board weighing in on the value of American cinema, mm-hmm. like you know, th- these lists are very stuffy and yeah. Uh, you know, it's the same issue that we run into that they're they're finally kind of starting to resolve a bit with the Oscars, right. where it's it's who is still in the voting academy and who's not been allowed into it yet, and that's why you're getting the choices that you get made. And it does feel like now the individual categories are starting to get a little bit better about it, but then Best Picture still gets hit a lot because yeah. of everyone voting at once and and they haven't figured out the best way to vote yet so there's a lot of like like last year I don't know what happened this year but I know last year like I've heard a few people tell me that the the votes between Get Out and um what was Get Out oh well and Three Billboards were Mm -hmm. split and that's why Shape of Water won because everyone had it as their number two and it was weighted so it went to number one oh that's interesting I don't know how true that is that's just what I heard secondhand but that that makes me wonder this year was it the same thing where was was Green Book the winner because everyone was so divided between maybe there was like a Black Panther contingency maybe Mm. there really was a Black Klansman contingency and maybe people who liked both were voting for those two and that was why interesting you know and maybe Bohemian Rhapsody had a crowd which I'm glad didn't but still yeah 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 
That's interesting. Well, it's getting there, and we're doing the Lord's work, so good for us. Well, Riley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This is great. This was awesome. I'm so glad. I've been meaning to have you on for a while. Oh, and if if you enjoyed our chat, uh, we go on Joseph Scrimshaw's podcast, Obsessed, uh, anytime a new Star Wars movie comes out, uh, too. It's the same gang that gets back together, so go back and listen to those episodes. We did it for Force Awakens. We did it for Solo. We did it for For Rogue One. Rogue One. Last Jedi. And Last Jedi. we'll probably do one for number nine we too. sure will it probably won't be out we usually don't do it until it's closer it's been out for a few months and there's been a chance to digest it a couple times yes but. yes but um but yeah so go back and listen to joseph scrimshaw's obsessed uh, star wars podcast episode specifically because that's where you can hear more of us it's fun yeah. i love it all right riley well thank you again yeah thank you <laughs> friends that's gonna do it for me today thank you all so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode with riley um there is more to come from my conversation with riley about comedy in general and uh and and a couple of getting into the nitty-gritty of the subject so if you liked that uh check out patreon it's patreon.com slash clark wolf uh for five dollars a month there are new uh mini episodes weekly sometimes they are featured portions of a conversation with the main podcast guests. Sometimes they are AMAs. Uh, sometimes they're readings. There's there's a lot of different content that comes in these mini episodes. Um, so check it out. And if you're not interested in supporting Patreon, totally fine. Please share the podcast and rate and review the podcast so that more people will find it. Um, thank you all so much for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful week. I'll see you soon.